0: The Men's Room, a talk sport podcast in partnership with Toolstation. From masculinity to mental health, friendship to fatherhood, join Tom Skinner and Neil Razor-Ruddock for the podcast that gets to the nuts and bolts of what it really means to be a man. Listen and follow now via your preferred podcast portal. The Men's Room, in partnership with Toolstation. Save 5% on everything you need for a whole month with the new Toolstation Club. Join today online, in-store, or via the app.
2: Regardless of the
1: highs,
0: or the lows. And it's by the goalkeeper. Oh, no, it's in.
2: Whenever you talk about the man between the sticks, it's hard to avoid one of the
3: oldest cliches in the book. I think they're just different characters because they're goalkeepers. It
2: might be 90,000 fans at Wembley Stadium, or it might be one man and his dog on Hackney Marshes. For fans, it all boils down to one thing that goalkeepers are a different breed. But is that a reputation that actually fits? Well, over the next hour, we'll endeavour to find out. We'll hear from a legendary stopper who reveal how far the game has actually come. And a
4: great save by the techniques that have come in with foreign coaches and foreign goalkeepers wouldn't be what I would use.
2: Plus, a former England number one discusses the curse of the Three Lions shirt.
5: I never think I should have done something else. I wake up in the morning,
2: I'm happy being me. We'll also examine how the pressure of being number one, and sometimes the lonely one, affects mental well-being.
3: You're listening to a talk TalkSport special, The Lonely One, the life of a goalkeeper.
2: My name is David Harewood. I'm an actor who's performed Shakespeare at the National Theatre, appeared on film with Leonardo DiCaprio, I've been Friar Tuck, Othello, and Nelson Mandela. Right now, I'm the man from Mars from the TV show Supergirl. But in June 2018, in front of 75,000 fans at Old Trafford,
0: I did this. More and more pressure now on each penalty. And it's a good save! David Harewood beats it away! First miss of the
6: shootout. Well, let's keep credit where it's due to the keeper.
2: In 2018 at Soccer Aid's charity football match, I became the first England goalie to save a penalty in a shootout since David Seaman in 1998. I've been a goalie since I was a kid. OK, so real life has gotten in the way, and acting became the way I got to thrill the crowds and yell at my fellow players, but I've always got my gloves packed, just in case. And I'm proud to call myself part of the union, a noble institution that has a bit of a reputation. <laughs>
0: The Balaga is furious, absolutely incandescent, and he's wagging his index finger of his left hand. I'm OK. I don't want to come off. I'm fine. It's going to be chain, and he's refusing to come off.
1: They put their bodies on the line pretty much every day, and as I said, they take bulls to the face, to anywhere in their body where it would hurt any normal person, but sometimes it could hit them clean in the chest, they'll get up and it'll be nothing. That's it. I think you've got too much time to think about too much.
7: I wouldn't want to be that inactive in a football match again. I know that. Oh, like David yeah. James, for example, he used to do sit-ups and press-ups while he's in goal just to sort of keep his mind going.
3: David James as a character who's different, so I think they're just different in the dressing room, different characters, because they're goalkeepers. <laughs>
2: You heard from the likes of Premier League winner Glenn Johnson, member of the 100 club Darren Bend, and talk sport and Tottenham favorite Jamie O'Hara there. On an idea perpetuated by a number of memorable antics over the years. Kick, me,
6: have you ever seen anything like that in your life from a goalkeeper?
2: Mention the name of Colombian goalkeeper René Higuita and fans will cry out as one. Scorpion kick, which he wowed us all at Wembley during a friendly against England in 1995 as South American football expert Tim Vickery recalls. The team looked at him and it's Wembley. That's really imposing for them. And he's strolling around enjoying himself as if it's a Sunday kickabout. While who could forget a certain Liverpool legend, spaghetti legs en route to a penalty shootout victory in the 1984 European Cup final.
6: There's our friend Bruce Grovelar again. Now, will it be 3-3? Oh. Missed it!
0: So, Liverpool, 3-2
5: up. The last penalty, Graziani, picks the ball up, takes
2: the ball at the spot, and that's when I came in with those wobbly legs, thinking to myself, what am I doing? But, you know, the, the net looks like spaghetti. I'll give him spaghetti legs. And let's not get started on the clobber. Over the years, goalkeepers have donned some of the worst-looking jerseys of all time. The Suns' fashion editor, Jolie Chilcott, believes it makes perfect sense that goalkeepers happen to wear the most eccentric kits.
8: What you wear can always have an impact on your mood. That's why they say you should dress for how you want to feel. So if goalie shirts are a little more outlandish, then it makes sense their behaviour might follow suit.
2: Putting the, shall we say, more eccentric aspects of goalkeeping aside for the moment, it's probably worth checking the small print. Because if you read the job description carefully, you'd probably question why anyone would take up the position in the first place. Let's have a look here. Ah, there it is. Roles include being the last line of defence, but the first one to take the blame... Being an excellent bench warmer, After all, there's ten outfield players, but only one goalie. Oh, and putting your head where others put their feet. An appetizing prospect for those kids who had perfected the art of hanging from crossbars. And, just like my long-suffering mum and dad, whose parents had gotten used to the midweek mud-soaked school trousers. Yet in spite of all this, we're still goalies. So, how did some of the best in the game assume the position?
6: Kicks! A great save from James. A great double save. James is the hero.
5: Do you know what? Sometimes when I talk about this, I feel like I um, <laughs> I kind of, I, I didn't deserve my career in some senses. Because as a kid, I had, I had no interest in football at all. You know, you meet kids nowadays who are six, seven years old and you, they're telling you who they're going to play for and what car they're going to drive. Whereas at that age, um, I think all the way up till ten when I first started playing football... Um, I had no interest in it at all. I had friends at school who were very interested in it, but uh, games lessons, and that's essentially how I ended up playing
2: in goal. Former Liverpool and Wigan shot stopper Chris Kirkland also happened upon the position.
5: I was
7: an outfield player. I was no good. I was always on the bench, and the goalkeeper got injured. And because I was the only one on the bench, I had to go in goal. Made a few saves, dived around, got muddy, thought, oh, I like this.
2: But little did Chris know that his father saw something in him. That no one else did.
7: I didn't know this until I made my debut for England, but my dad after that game put a bet on me playing for England, straight after that game when I was thirteen. He got hundred to one with his friends. If I'd have gone in with him, he'd have got about a million to one.
2: Sports psychologist Phil Hopley details why some are better suited for the position. Some
9: perhaps because they are naturally good in that position, some perhaps because they're maybe not so good in terms of outfield skills. So you've got different cohorts that will end up in that position, but I think the thing that determines those that will become successful in that role is the degree to which they can handle the almost unique pressure of playing in that position because, to my mind, it's very different to playing outfield.
2: Goalkeeping is often described as a lonely profession, a notion that back in 1937, Charlton keeper Sam Bartram emphasised rather well. His team were playing Chelsea at Stamford Bridge in heavy fog and Sam, ever vigilant, remained firmly in his box, unaware that the referee had actually abandoned the game. He remained heroically at his post for an extra 15 minutes before being found by a policeman. Even away from the fog bound pitches of the 1930s, down the decades, goalkeeping still proved to be something of a solitary existence. As former England goalkeeper Scott Carson can remember vividly from when he was a young player in the 90s.
10: Everybody seems to have them now, even when you see some of the Sunder League teams, they seem to, maybe not goalkeeping coaches, but they have people who'll do little bits and things with them. But then it was basically me. Training myself. I used to get my mum in the back garden and she used to throw balls at me. And obviously, then you couldn't really watch YouTube for ID, so it was basically making stuff up myself, just diving over poles and things in, in my back garden.
2: Thankfully, things are far different in this day and age. As former Sunderland stopper and now Osterson's goalkeeper coach, David Preece, Explains.
0: Now we're taking a more holistic approach and where it's the goalkeeper is being integrated within with the rest of the group. The focus is less on technical aspects of the game the traditional aspects of goalkeeping and more into focus uh, focusing on decision making and putting keepers in situations that are game realistic and that's now very much at the forefront of, of goalkeeper coaching.
2: Some, however, aren't sold. Legendary England goalkeeper Peter Shilton believes modern coaching has had a negative effect on the game. And with it, the basics of the position.
4: Training has changed completely. I mean, in this day and age, I'd just like to say that, you know, I think some of the um, techniques that, which have come in with foreign coaches and foreign goalkeepers, you know, wouldn't be what, what I would use. And I've got to be honest about that. I, I do see a lot of balls going underneath goalkeepers and through goalkeepers, which is not a technique that I develop. Of course, now, you know, goalkeeping coaches, my first goalkeeping coach was, was Mike Kelly for the England team in 82. Mike used to say to me, what do you want, Peter? You know, um, I'll I'll serve the balls up. You tell me the sort of training you want. So it was that sort of relationship. And obviously now, you know, the goalkeepers are basically told what to do all the time, I think.
2: Former England and Chelsea goalkeeper Rob Green recently revealed that other goalkeepers at the time Felt they needed more traditional training.
9: You know, working at Chelsea last season, you look at the guys and I was watching the guys and you're doing so much with your feet and so much sort of playing out with the team and, and that sort of the goalkeeping side, the actual shot stopping gets dismissed, but there's just less time to do it. You, yes. You yeah. know, there's so much the, the guys the guys are on the training pitch a limited amount of time. You've got three, four games a week or wherever it might be with the Europa League as it was this last season, the Champions League this season. And you turn to Kepper or turn to Willie or whoever's playing and you say, is there anything you want? Yeah, more shots. I I don't feel like I'm sharp enough.
2: It's clear that through improved techniques and modern coaching, the game has moved on leaps and bounds over the last 30 years. But one thing remains. Goalkeepers are the last line of defence. And regardless of the amount of help they may get, mistakes happen. A prime example of this is the fall from grace of Joe Hart.
0: Landing right, it's picked up by uh, Goodmanson, who finds Gilfy Sigurdsson trying to turn him around the corner. Sigurdsson can get a shot in. Oh, it's in! Johansson got a left hand to him but couldn't keep it out.
2: Pep Guardiola made it abundantly clear to the ever-present Manchester City goalkeeper that he wasn't needed after his return from England's disastrous Euro 2016 campaign. Guardiola's appointment signaled the start of a different brand of play, one that required the goalkeeper to take risks and feel comfortable with the ball at his feet. Former Manchester City defender Danny Mills blames this and the media for ruining Joe Hart's confidence.
7: Before he'd even seen him train, he went, nope, not having him. England's number one. Not good enough for me. Get rid of him. Simple as that. That's devastating as a player. You know, that's a huge knock to your confidence. You know, I think it was an outstanding goalkeeper but I think when you take that big hit in confidence and we've seen it with the likes of Scott Carson making mistakes for England Paul Robinson making mistakes Green you know it affects them all you know and the media are constant David James the media are then constantly on your back every mistake after that they highlight that mistake from a year two years three four years previous whatever it might
3: be you're listening to a talk sports special the lonely one the life of a Goalkeeper."
2: I'm David Harewood, and in 2018 at Soccer Aid, I became the first England goalie to save a penalty in a shootout since David Seaman in 1998. But others haven't been so lucky.
1: Trying to get away from Gerrard, fighting in and it hard alone. A desperate mistake by Robert Green. Oh my goodness! Oh, have you ever seen anything like that? England a two nil. missed this Dawson can
0: get a shot in. Oh, it's in. Joe Hart got a left hand to it but couldn't keep it out.
2: Hand of Claude Clueless. Wally with a brolly. These are all back page headlines following notable howlers. Never mistakes. Howlers. The curse of the three lines goalkeeper has been a hot topic since the days of Seaman, who himself fell victim to one of the greatest gaffes of all time back in 2002
0: takes, and David Seaman's call off his line, and Brazil take the lead. Ronaldinho has scored. David Seaman is caught cold.
2: And yes, England's shot-stopping Davids are like a breed of their own. I'd know. Here's another one: David James.
5: I don't know if you read books. Going off on a tangent here. Freakonomics, fascinating. Sorry. It talks about Sports Illustrated and why people only appear on the cover once, and essentially it's because that's the peak of their career. Well. Playing for England has to be the peak of your career. And I suppose the argument, therefore, is that to be at your best is a very difficult thing to sustain. So a lot of goalkeepers arguably will get a run in the England team at their best. They will come off being their best because, as I say, it's difficult position or level of performance to sustain and then someone else will be able to go and take their place.
2: Despite having 125 England appearances, two European Cups, a First Division title and a PFA Player of the Year to his name, legendary three Lions number one Peter Shilton knows that he and other goalkeepers are remembered by most... For their gaffes.
4: I remember David James many years ago playing for Liverpool against Leeds and he had an unbelievable game. In the last few minutes of the game, there was a corner and he went for it. He didn't quite get it. He was flicked on and Leeds scored and he got completely blamed for the defeat. Well, you know, they wouldn't even have been in the game if it wasn't for him. So that's the sort of scenario with goalkeeping. You have to have a thick skin, you have to be very positive and uh, overcome adversity, that's the nature of the game. And it's not an easy position, but it is a great feeling when you make great saves and you help your team to a win.
2: As the last line of defence, there's a tremendous amount of pressure on goalkeepers to perform at their best from first to last. Sports psychologist Phil Hopley knows that athletes and non-athletes alike have a tendency... Self impose pressure.
9: So, if the media are really intent on covering somebody's weaknesses, shortcomings, poor performances in the past, if you as an individual pay attention to that in a significant way, it can significantly undermine your self confidence and it can put a mental dialogue live in your head that is not constructed to performing well.
2: Whether it's his in-goal acrobatics or off-pitch lifestyle as a one-time underwear model, artist and DJ, you could say that David James is living proof that goalkeepers are, well, shall we say, a little off the wall. During his playing days, many admired his ability to keep bouncing back. Yet despite there being decidedly more ups than downs, throughout his 26-year career, one thing stuck. His nickname.
5: When the "Climate James thing came up, I was thinking to myself, is that because I've been whistling Calamity Jane in The Way to Work? Because Calamity Jane is one of my favourite films.
0: Oh, the throat's
2: as dry as a desert thistle in May. In the golden garter, gonna wet my whistle today. Last of the bar is a three-legged crow. Set him up, Joe, set him up, Joe, set him up, Joe.
5: Last of the bar is one-legged crow, blah, or three-legged crow, sorry, blah, I could I could sing the song and all that stuff. So I used to whistle this song and I was thinking, is that what it is? And um, fortunately, years later, I mean, I, it might have been better had it happened straight away. But my mum had kept some clippings from my Watford days, and uh, we we're going through some old photos and whatever. And these clippings popped up, and it was in one of the Watford newspaper reports. Calamity James. I was thinking, you know what? This has been <laughs> this has been going around since I was a Watford. It isn't something that the Liverpool guys have invented. So, uh, yeah, it was it was annoying because I like the movie. And I like that particular song. Going to France was interesting; has been interesting even to today. I mean, I've been to France, and be go, "Ah, oh, calamity, James." I'm thinking the way you've asked, they want a photo with me, and the way they ask it, it's not—it's it, actually not an insulting term. It's almost like that's your name. So, uh, whereas I used to sort of give people a look of disgust and possibly avoid them, now it's just like, okay, if you remember me for something, and that's what it is, then. That's the way it is. You know what I mean? I can't change that. So, yeah, it's kind of it's taken on different different faces over the uh, over the years. Not one that you would want to have, as you say, but um, it is what it is.
2: David James's former England manager Fabio Capello has previously come in for some criticism after referring to the goalkeeper as calamity rather than his real name. It
5: wouldn't surprise me because, um, as I say, these French fans, there was nothing. Um, negative in their approach they were happy to see me it was kind of ah meet Jane can we have a photo and I'm like okay right, yeah come on then and that was it 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 wasn't like you're rubbish can I have a photo it was just kind of that's your name and uh, yeah so whether whether Capello I mean he, he picked me enough times I mean it's true if it wasn't for Capello I wouldn't have gone to the uh world cup in 2010 so um it's just maybe it's just a strange quote i've got no, nothing against either either he or the the french fans that had the photograph in the,
4: the england players protesting to the referee or was it a use
6: of the hand that england are complaining about
2: Legendary England goalkeeper Peter Shilton has never forgiven Diego Maradona for the hand of God during the World Cup quarter-final against Argentina in 1986.
4: Well, the thought process, basically, is that he's cheated and uh, he's got away with it. And, uh, you know, the only reason he cheated was because he knew I was going to get the ball. Otherwise, he would have headed it in for a legitimate goal. But he got away with it through bad officialdom. And it is very difficult because it was a very important first goal in the game. But you've got to kind of try and and overcome that initially, and you do learn, you know, as a goalkeeper that you've you've got to put things behind you. I mean, if I was playing in a game and I you know I let a goal in that I felt that I probably should have saved a mistake in the first few minutes, you know, I wouldn't compound that by letting it affect me for the rest of the game.
2: Italian 90, Pavarotti, World in Motion, Casas' tears, a nation falling back in love with football at an international level. But semi-final defeat for Shilton's England against West Germany involved another incident out of his control.
0: It's direct, and it's deflected.
4: A deflected shot is the worst thing that can happen to you because you're actually ready for one thing, you're in position for one thing, and when the shot is deflected, all of a sudden it, it changes into another thing. And when you're expecting a shot, you're side on, and you're ready for the shot, you're in position, and the, the minute it's deflecting and then suddenly it's going over your head, the correct technique is to get slightly side on to go backwards. But in that instance, I didn't have the time and I just had to kind of improvise. And unfortunately, it went in the one place I didn't want it to go. And, and it was just bad luck.
2: For English football fans, qualification for Euro 2008 will live long in the memory. We mentioned Wally with the Broly earlier, and this is why.
3: Franchier.
2: As the three Lions slumped to a 3-2 defeat to Croatia, England manager Steve McLaren sheltered from the rain underneath his golf umbrella. The loss cost England qualification for the Euros and McLaren his job. McLaren was also criticized for his handling of Scott Carson's debut that night as he was at fault for Croatia's first, letting a tame 30-yard strike past him. Carson had replaced Paul Robinson, who himself had previously made a high-profile mistake.
10: The toughest time in, in my career, really, and probably just a bit fortunate that there wasn't so much social media around then. So, yeah, if it was now, you'd, you'd get a little bit more stick. But it was obviously devastating. I obviously wanted to play for England, and I didn't want it to, to go how it, how it went. But me looking back now, I don't, at 22 years old, I probably wasn't ready to play to become England number one. But you have to live with them, and it, it was pretty difficult after and but it was it was all about just getting back on the field and and, and trying to play as well as you could after that to, to try to get rid of her.
2: Ben Foster's eight England caps including just one at a major competition don't represent his talent on the pitch.
0: Free kick outside the penalty and It kills it all, oh, Ben Foster. What a save!
2: Many believe that Foster could have been an answer to England's goalkeeping woes. But during Fabio Capello's tenure as Three Lions boss, Foster made himself unavailable for selection for an indefinite period. Why, you may ask? Well, in a recent interview, the Watford goalkeeper stated that he found the Italian hard to work with on both a professional and personal level. Foster revealed how Capello initially refused to allow him to leave training for the birth of his child. After allowing it, reluctantly, he then called Foster three hours later, asking him to return to camp immediately. Capello then promised Foster a second-half appearance in the upcoming match, an assurance that didn't come to fruition
11: nobody teaches you to deal with the stresses and strains that come mentally with being a, a professional footballer you know you've got 19 year olds earning 20 grand a week like, can you imagine being 19 years old and earning that money like you're not emotionally mature enough to be able to deal mm. with that kind of thing so yeah like I say football clubs nowadays they have they have coaches for goalkeepers coaches in the gym they have coaches for outfield players You have specialist position coaches there's nobody in virtually any football club that coaches, the mental health side of it, and how to deal with the expectation.
2: Something that's become clear in talking to these players, who have been at the very top of the game, is that one way of ensuring you stay there is through positive thinking.
5: No regrets ever, no wishful thinking that something had changed, and uh, just thankful that I had a chance to, to do what I did.
4: I played 20 years for England, and uh, you know I think my record stands up comparable to anybody, you will always get certain people bring up one
10: or two games. Nobody tiptoes around you. Everyone just goes straight back and gives you the banter that you expect, and that helped me out of it because the, my other teammates didn't feel sorry for me. That they gave me it and made me. It, it probably made me stronger. Really,
2: sports psychologist Phil Hopley believes it's an ability few have.
10: The best performers
9: are able to erect this kind of um, impenetrable wall where they're not bothered about what other people see. But unfortunately, a lot of individuals are vulnerable to that, and that can become very, very undermining.
2: Even for the biggest characters, it takes immense mental resolve to get through the toughest moments. And yes, representing your country may be the pinnacle, but the stresses of the game affects all levels of football.
7: I didn't want to feel the way I felt. As I was standing on the, on the ledge and about to jump, I just thought of my wife and my daughter.
2: Shortly, we take a look at how modern approaches to mental health have helped goalkeepers speak out and look for help during their darkest
3: hour. You're listening to a talk sport special, The Lonely One, the Life of
0: a Goalkeeper. The Men's Room, a talk sport podcast in partnership with Tool Station. From masculinity to mental health, friendship to fatherhood. Join Tom Skinner and Neil Razor Ruddock for the podcast that gets to the nuts and bolts of what it really means to be a man. Listen and follow now via your preferred podcast portal The Men's Room in partnership with Tool Station. Save 5% on everything you need for a whole month with the new Tool Station Club. Join today online, in store, or via the app. I'll hold that, please. Level 5. Thank you. Ah,
6: you must be one of our new interns.
8: Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you.
6: Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale.
8: The most important thing is what? Sorry.
6: The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine.
3: Uh yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.
1: To find out more and book, visit enterprise.co.uk.
3: You're listening to a Talk sports special, The Lonely One, the life of a goalkeeper.
2: I'm David Harewood. I'm an actor and director and passionate part-time goalkeeper. But like many others, I've had my own mental health struggles. And it's a genuine societal problem something I was able to address and investigate in the BBC documentary Psychosis and Me. And tragically, it's something that was brought starkly into focus on the 10th of December 2009, one of football's darkest days.
0: The Hanover
7: goalkeeper Robert Enke, who was expected to be part of Germany's World Cup squad for 2010, has died after being hit by a train close to his home. Police have confirmed that a suicide note was left behind.
2: According to his wife, Teresa, Enker suffered three separate bouts of depression during his career, the last of which drove him to take his own life. German football journalist Olli Nack followed his career.
6: He was one of the two or three top German goalkeepers. He would have been number one. He was in the spotlight. Everybody was looking at him as a really good goalkeeper, but not only as a good goalkeeper, but also as a good character. Pretty much everyone was caught by surprise. It was something he did not share with anybody, with his very close friends, but not with friends in football. It was something that he tried to figure out with himself.
2: Despite playing for some of the best sides in Europe, Robert Enker struggled behind the scenes with transfers to certain clubs. He was also axed from the number one spot by Barcelona, after a poor run of games and sent out on loan with Turkish side Fenerbahce, where he was insulted by fans after a disastrous debut. The son of a psychologist, Enke's biographer Ronald Ring noted how he feared conceding a goal and overanalyzed even if it wasn't his fault. Off the field, Enke also struggled to cope with the loss of his daughter, Laura, who passed away a few years earlier in 2006. Sports psychologist Phil Hopley details what depression, a word we are using more than ever, Can actually entail.
9: Somebody to develop a set of factors that lead to a level of emotional distress that cause them to question whether life is worth living or to be suicidal usually means, not always, but it usually means they've developed mental health problems. And more often than not, that is depression. And by depression, as psychiatrists, we mean a state of mind where someone's mood has been really low consistently for at least two weeks, associated with a number of physical or biological and psychological changes. And as that pattern gets worse and worse over time, untreated or unrecognised, then hopelessness comes into the picture. And we know that hopelessness is a significant risk factor for people to go on to, if they have suicidal thoughts, to take an attempt on their life.
2: Following his death, his wife set up the Robert Enker Foundation. There has been a huge push to encourage men and women in the game to reach out when suffering with their emotions. Back in 2016, former Premier League and England goalkeeper and now mental health advocate Chris Kirkland Reached a tipping point, following the death of his beloved dog of fourteen years and a close friend to cancer. Numerous stalled moves and empty promises led to his lowest moment.
7: I signed for Barry and then and uh, the Dave Flickcroft, and but by this time I was, I was just, I was not in a good way at all. I was at my lowest. Signed for them, went to Portugal on pre-season. Didn't want to go. Thought I, I can't be away from home. I didn't want to go, and I was standing on. We were in an apartment blocks, and I was standing on the top of the apartment block and I was going to jump off. I just just got to that point where I didn't want to feel the way I felt um, you know I, I couldn't wait to get to sleep at nights, and I didn't want to wake up in the mornings. And I just thought that was the only way out. And as I, as I was standing on the, on the ledge and about to jump, I just thought of my wife and my daughter. And that's what stopped me. And I rang Leona straight away and said, look, I need help. And, and she knew there was issues, but she didn't know how deep it was. Because as a man, you think, oh, macho man. You know, I've got to protect the family. I, you know, I can't say different stuff to them. So she got me home the next day. I told Dave Flickcroft, who was incredible. And I uh, said, look, I need to retire through football. I need to get my mental health on. Right. And that's when I rang the PFA. And that's when things started to, to gradually get better.
2: The PFA's Director of Player Welfare, former Charlton and Brighton winger Michael Bennett, has been one of the figures to lead the way when highlighting issues around mental health in football.
5: This is a prime
7: example of someone who's found himself in a difficult situation, uh, the transition out of the game, lost the love of the game. Uh, and, and, the, and the game was the area that was causing him distress. Uh, and we just enabled him to realize and work through that. So what, what happened was Chris came on to me. We met in our, in, our, in our offices. We did a kind of assessment for about an hour and a half. You know, we worked out what his current situation were and what was going on. And then after a few sessions, so then because of Chris living up in the north, uh, we designated him with a therapist up where he lives. Uh, and that relationship grew and grew and and Chris has come out the other side. And to be fair to Chris, I think he's been a catalyst in speaking about his, his mental health and well-being that has caused a number of other players and sports people to come forward and speak openly as well.
2: More and more of us are starting to talk about our mental health with a new generation of footballers now seemingly liberated. Take Charlton's women's goalkeeper Katie Startup for example. She's not wearing the traditional number one jersey this season for good reason.
8: I did some research. I found the stat on the World Health Organization: one person every forty seconds dies from suicide. That really struck a chord with me. That was I did I did the maths, and if my maths is right, that's uh, one hundred and thirty-five people just during the course of a football match, and that was really harrowing. So I knew that that's what I was gonna try and push. And people would ask me why I changed number one to number forty. And that by doing that and explaining the decision, it would kind of start that conversation about mental health and maybe try and have people talk about it a bit more often, kind of normalise having the conversation about it.
2: We are finding that more players coming through the ranks are analysing how they feel and being open about it. Take former England under-20 goalkeeper Ted Smith. Aged just 24, he has now retired from the game. And Ted revealed to The Telegraph's Mike McGrath that the pressures of the modern game Word for him.
7: I've been lucky. I've had so many like, lovely messages off the back of it. But yeah, I just sort of wanted to do it because I think it's something that not really many footballers have done. And I think there's that stigma, obviously, around men not sort of admitting to you know not wanting to do something. And I think for me, I just come out and said, you know, the job wasn't for me, so I've changed it. And it was as simple as that, really. Monday to Friday, like I, I that was for me it was my bread and butter. I loved it. Um, you know, you're obviously, training, you can always bet yourself. I, I love that part, but Saturday was just a little bit different, I suppose. You know, being a goalkeeper is quite a lonely place on a Saturday. And for me, I kind of felt in the end it was quite selfish to take that opportunity away from someone that would really relish and enjoy a game day.
2: Watford goalkeeper Ben Foster recently revealed on Talk Sport that mental health coaches are now a huge part of the setup at football clubs.
11: As soon as I got out on the pitch, it was pressure. Oh my God, where's this pressure coming from? Mm. Because, because you don't know, you don't know where like, these external things are coming in. It's like, oh my god! So it wasn't until I, I joined Watford initially. I think it was what twelve odd years ago. Andy Boothwood was a manager, massive advocate of psychologists. That um, we had a, a guy on site. His, his name was Keith Minture and I, I still speak to Keith to this day. Absolute legend of a bloke. But he sits you down and he will explain why this is happening to you. Because it will happen to anybody in mm. any walk of life, whether your business, whatever it is. Stuff will creep into your mind that you don't know is happening. And you need somebody to explain it to you, basically. So then, in your own head, when you go away and it happens again, you can decipher that and deal with it.
2: Foster knows, however, that there's still a long way to go.
11: I'll say it's definitely getting better, but it's definitely nowhere near where it should be. If you look at the money that's in football, you would think that literally everything would be boxed off. You know, everything on the technical the the, you know we stay in the best hotels we travel by plane to away games that Mm. sort of stuff everything is taken care of to the minute detail on that side of it but the rest of it is left and it's not with every club and I'm sure there is clubs that have a psychologist on site who will and the lads buy into it and it is but there is still definitely a taboo about it mm, there's yeah. you know uh, take Watford for example Troy Deeney will you, uh, he uses a psychologist it, I think it's a good thing to have somebody on board where just sometimes just to unload you know what I mean yeah. this happened to me the other day and I, I don't know why it happened but can you try and help me out with it kind of, that sort of stuff and I, I, I'd, I'd say to not even just a young players, any player yeah. if stuff like that is just go and talk to somebody do you know what I mean even, even if it's somebody that you, you know who's who you trust, or something like that? I think it's a it's a hugely yeah. important thing to do.
2: Tottenham Hotspur goalkeeper Becky Spencer suffered a serious injury that hampered her career. Uncertainty over her future in the game made for a tough journey on a psychological level. But services offered by her club helped her through.
8: I knew everyone was very approachable, and everyone I could speak to, anyone you know, I had family and friends around me who I could who I could confide in. Um, I had people at football who, you know, were always open to speaking to. So I'd say I was really well looked after in that sense. It's unfortunate that, you know, the the male players didn't get that back back in the day. But now, you know, things have come on so, you know, real strongly and it's really helped me throughout getting throughout all my injuries and stuff like that. You know, you just don't feel like you're in the right place and, you know, to understand things and to overcome every goal is tough. I mean, in the women's game now, I think there's so many opportunities for you to speak to people um, obviously, your teammates are there, you know, you might not feel comfortable doing, doing so. And I know clubs have, have got, you know, things in place for, for players to, to speak to people when they need it.
2: Speaking to The Athletic's Michael Bailey, former Southampton youth team player Will Britt, recalls the issues he had during his playing days. After lifting the FA Youth Cup on loan at Norwich, he too suffered a turbulent spell with injuries which led to him hanging up his boots.
9: It's a hard place to be, especially when you're sat in that physio room, you're looking outside, like you say, we've got one shirt to fight for. When you're looking outside and you're seeing these other goalkeepers progress, it's tough and it puts you in a bad place. I think I went through a phase where, you know, I don't like to throw the depression card out because it's, you know, mental health is a serious thing and it's getting more looked into and things, but... I think looking back, I probably was. These are things that you're just going to have to kind of get on with. It's You know, this is life. And um, that's what I've kind of done. I've just kind of had to get on with it and, and see where you know, life takes me.
2: It doesn't matter whether you play the game or not. If you're suffering with your mental health, reach out to those that can help. Go to www.nhs.uk forward slash conditions forward slash stress slash anxiety slash depression.
3: You're listening to a TalkSport special, The Lonely One, the life of a goalkeeper.
2: And if ever there was a Cinderella story that perfectly illustrates the life of a goalkeeper, well, David Martin, time to try on that glass footy boot. It's Millwall 2, Brighton 2 with the last kick of the game, a March, March but a free kick, 25, 30 yards out. 21 into the air, it deceived everyone, including David Martin. more 2 up here with 10 to play, and Brighton scored two inside seven minutes. It's more 2, Brighton 2. We're heading to extra time. Just minutes away from an FA Cup semi-final, that mistake led to extra time, penalties, and ultimately defeat. His dad, Talksport England and West Ham legend Alvin Martin, remembers it well.
6: I find it very difficult to watch Dave. All afternoon, it was live on, on, on TV, and I uh, I found jobs to do in the shed, I was, and I stayed busy. All afternoon, no news is good news. My wife's watching it indoors, and I then I looked at me watching, and I thought, right, we're into the last three minutes of this game, so I'm nearly over the line. And then the back door opened. She came out. She looked at me. I looked at her. She went, you better come in and have a look at this.
2: However, this wasn't the end of the story. Enter Prince Charming in the unlikely shape of Lions boss, Neil Harris.
6: So I knew he was going to phone me after the game, but the, the greatest thing about that conversation after the game was, as painful as it was, he said to me, uh, Neil, come up to me, Neil Harris. Now, David only just got in the team, and Neil Harris came up to him and said, you're playing next week, David, uh, against Leeds, and I should have been playing you earlier. And as a father, I remember thinking to myself, wow, that, that is... Fabulous moment. The horrible thing about football is normally when people are patting you on the back and congratulating you, you don't need it. You need it when you're at your lowest. And that was when Neil was able to come up to him and give him, I think, a fantastic bit of managerial advice and support.
2: So David played the last eight games for Millwall and then, in 2019, the Rumford-born, lifelong West Ham fan... years after making his debut as a pro... ...really did go to the ball.
6: Alvin Martin hugging his boy Dave Martin. Honestly, I'm choking up. It's unbelievable. Dave has just uh, come to the side of the pitch. Climbed over the barrier... Come up the steps to Alvin who's sitting next to us here at Stamford Bridge. They've had a big hug. It's it's the most incredible great moment, the most story. incredible moment I think I've ever experienced doing this Saturday afternoon show on Talks 4. It could not happen to a nicer guy than Alvin Martin. He's seen his boy kick clean sheet and win on his West Ham debut, and Alvin, of course, a West Ham legend. Incredible, incredible
0: scenes here at Stamford Bridge.
2: A moment that will live long in the memory. For Adrian Durham, the rest of the Talksport team, listeners across the world, and especially Alvin.
6: It was a moment that nobody will ever take away from the Martin family. We couldn't have envisaged it was gonna happen. He's come up to thirty-four, you know, I had a good career, but you know, for him to get the move to West Ham and then to actually play a part in, in a game as important as that, you know, I couldn't have seen it coming. It was it was it was something that if I had it written it down. In some sort of like schoolboy magazine, they would have all said, oh, you've gone way over the top.
2: Sports psychologist Phil Hopley believes goalkeepers have to deal with and process pressure differently to anyone else on the pitch.
9: There's something almost unique about being a goalkeeper in so far as your exposure to pressurised moments that can turn a game is much higher than it is for all other players, apart from individuals. Perhaps you take penalties. It's a very challenging situation to be in. It all comes back down to the degree to which you take personally your successes and your shortcomings.
2: Another high-profile instance of this is that of former Manchester United goalkeeper Ben Foster, who, following a turbulent spell at Old Trafford, managed to forge a reputation as one of the Premier League's top stoppers. Before that, though he felt the full force of the hair-dry treatment.
11: The worst moment was when I was at Man United. Um, we I think It was basically the, the end of my career at Man United. We, we were playing at home to Sunderland and they had Kenwin Jones playing up front. It's nil at the time. Late on in the second half, they played a ball over to the top and I've come out to try to catch it. Anyway, Kenwin Jones is Bullied the life out of me. He's absolutely bullied me. Won the header, scored the goal. I'm on the floor, lying down. My ribs are killing. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go. Um, <laughs> so I'm dreading the worst. Thankfully, I think we scored a late equaliser. I think Patrice Everett or something scored a late equaliser. So it sort of saved my blushes a little bit. But wow, did I get it at full time? The manager, yeah. Ferguson, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, he gave it to me, and I, I will always remember. I can remember it word for word, and I cannot say it on the radio. <laughs> I cannot say it on the radio, but it it was not nice anyway. You can be the best player in the world this week, but next week, you honestly, you're never that far away from being the worst player in the world again. It's as simple as that. It's it swings and roundabouts in football. It's it's so it's so fast paced. It's so fast moving. You're you never far away from something. For somebody my age, I'm I'm lucky enough to have been through a lot. You know, I've been through Man United, the the pressure that was at Man United, and I think for that moment in time when I was at Man United, I just I wasn't ready for it. Do you know what I mean? It was too much for me. But I learned a lot from it. Don't get me wrong. I'll always I'll always look at my mistakes and where I've been in my career, and i I'll, I'll always I'll never regret anything. Never ever ever. Because I think you can learn something from everything, whether good, bad, or different.
2: From playing with the reserves at Manchester United to becoming a fan favourite at Watford, Ben Foster is yet another goalkeeper that's proven, following difficulties during their career, that you can bounce back. With both help on and off the pitch. Headed down by Wesley, and that's
0: a brilliant save by Ben Foster. Cuthall is there as well. It's a very good save by Ben Foster because it was angled in towards the near post. Free kick outside the penalty and It kills it! all Ben Foster! What a save!
2: Goalkeepers have written themselves into history for a cricket score of reasons, but that all tends to take place in your own 18-yard box. For Jimmy Glass, however, well, that was all much too ordinary.
6: A kick comes in. Oh, and the
1: goalkeeper's Jimmy Glass. Jimmy Glass has scored. The goalkeeper has scored a goal for Carlisle United.
2: Back on May 8, 1999, a finish from the most unlikely of candidates, a goal that saved the club's status in the football league. Jimmy Glass's spot in sporting folklore will remain forever after his injury-time goal for Carlisle in a dramatic 2-1 victory over Plymouth.
6: I got carried off the of front in part by a sea of people. I think that's the first moment, then you, you realise the elation of the crowd. You know, you could feel before the goal went in the, dis- the despair, disappointment, the change between despair and elation in that instant, in that moment. Um, is something I never forget. My first morning in training, they, they had another goalkeeper, Paul Heritage, but he was actually injured. He had a back problem, so he couldn't play, but he was just doing a bit of light like, training. I think he said, but, you know, if you keep him up, you'll be a hero. And I said, what if I score the winner?
2: A fairy tale story that reminds everyone of football's endless possibilities. Goodness have you
6: ever seen anything like that in your life from a goalkeeper?
2: Look, I know I'm biased, but I reckon it's fair to say that we members of the goalkeepers union are a truly different breed. Uh, yeah, okay, on occasion, I'll admit it, perhaps a little bit crazy but also thoughtful, astute, studious, mentally tough, resolute, caring, passionate, and most of all, winners. Sure, sometimes we might drive you wild, but don't we know it. Considering what we have to deal with from the stands, their opponents, and the press, I can assure you, no one likes a bad review. So next time your keeper flaps at a corner, or clears it straight into touch, or plain throws one in, Try and remember what they've had to go through to put themselves in that position in the first place. Not just by pulling on a pair of gloves, but the years and years and years of physical and psychological effort they've exerted to be the one person in the team wearing a different coloured shirt. Different? Yes. And most certainly, unique.
6: A great save from James, a
0: great double save.
5: I wake up in the morning, I'm happy being me. So I can't ask for anything else because there's a chance I wouldn't be happy waking up in the morning being me. So I'd have loved to have won more, as I say, ultra competitive. I'd have loved to have let in less goals. Um, But in the end, you know, I I did what I did. Um, I got to travel around the world. First of all, playing for clubs in England, playing for my national team um, and then playing for clubs in in foreign countries. And having been abroad, meeting French fans who call me Klamath, you're going to India um, and seeing young lads there who aspire to be the players that I was playing with and against in the Premier League or in the World Cup. It gives it gave me or gives me such an a much more enriched value of the game and I can't say that I, I did
10: it wrong
2: can he get the shot and he can it's only just over it's touched over by carson
10: we're all in the same boat every there's no goalkeeper out there wasn't made a mistake and obviously yes some some are more high profile than others but we all understand what everyone goes through where you can one minute you think you're you're top of the world. You're playing really well, and then a couple of mistakes, and then it's it's all back to square one. So yeah, the the thing about goalkeeping is you you just never know when you just you can never take your foot off the gas for for a second. You can't get lazy in training because it does come back to bite you.
0: Lost again there, for Brooking hit
6: this time, and what a save! What a monumental save by Peter Shilton.
4: It's a one-off position. You know you're part of the team, but you're not really. You know you're on your own. There's a lot of pressure on and you judge really on the amount of mistakes you make. You have to have a thick skin, you have to be very positive and uh, overcome adversity. And that's the, that's the nature of the game. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's not um, an easy position, but it is a great feeling when you, when you make great saves and you help your team to a win.
6: Possibilities here, it's Jennings, good save Kirkland.
7: I Might be biased and people might say that's the most important position on the pitch without a shadow of a doubt it's the most unforgiving we all know that you can have 10 great saves you make one mistake and you're you labelled a calamity keeper so it's outrageous you know some of the stick you get off pundits, off journalist people it's just shocking but it's the hardest position on the pitch
0: The Men's Room, a talk sport podcast in partnership with ToolStation. Station. From masculinity to mental health, friendship to fatherhood, join Tom Skinner and Neil Razor-Ruddock for the podcast that gets to the nuts and bolts of what it really means to be a man. Listen and follow now via your preferred podcast portal. The Men's Room, in partnership with Tool Station. Save 5% on everything you need for a whole month with the new Tool Station Club. Join today online, in-store, or via the app.